Hey, hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt, and just delighted, excited that you're here, uh, whether you're in one of our six physical locations or you're tuned in and engaged online on some kind of mobile device or on your computer or even on your, uh, on your TV at home. Hey, we're glad that you're here. I want you to believe something. I want you to believe that you're not here by accident. I want you to believe that God's got a reason for you to be here. I want us to walk into the doors of the church, turn on our computers, however we're engaging, and let's be expectant that God has something for us. Because this has been, I, I think, an incredibly uh, important series in the life of our church. It's called A Better Way. And what we've just basically been talking about is all of us have a way of doing things, a way of looking at things, a way of feeling about things, a way of reacting about things. But we said, hey, maybe, maybe we're hungry for, we need a better way. And so we've just been asking this question and putting it on various parts of our lives, various parts of our attitudes, our languages. Hey, what's the way Jesus would? How? And then fill in the blank. And we've said, you know, we've learned that, hey, Jesus is sufficient as not only our Savior, Jesus is sufficient as our leader, and that when we ask him what is the way, uh, through his word, through his spirit, through his people, the church, Jesus will show us the way. And so we're going to conclude this series this weekend at all of our campuses and talk about something that I, I think is absolutely incredibly important not only for the here and now, but absolutely for forever. You may disagree with me when you hear what it is, but I just want to invite you to lean in, hang in, and see what God shows us. So here's the question we want to ask today, this weekend, is what is the way Jesus would do church or think about church? And you know, I, whether you've grown up in church, you're back in church, you've never been to church, there's a way you think about church. There's a way you've experienced church. Some of you, it's been horrible. Some of you, it's been okay. Uh, there's just a way we've all come to think about church. And I think uh, what we need to recognize is wherever you are on that continuum is there was some things going on prior to COVID inside the, the Western church, the American church. The largest religious group in America right now is called the nuns. They claim no affiliation to any denomination, any church, anything like that. They're not necessarily, don't believe, they're not like atheists or agnostics, the vast majority of them are. They're just not into what we might call an organized expression or the institution of a spiritual expression, the church. But before COVID, you know, we might say church is where I go on Sunday. It's where I go to get my spiritual needs met. It's where I go to get fed. And we have different definitions. Some people, it's a time and a place. For some people, you know, the church is like where you make sure you're cared for when a crisis happens. Now, then COVID hit. And I just want to be honest. And let's call it what it is. COVID has been hard on the church. It's been hard on attendance. It's been hard on engagement. It's been hard on generosity. It's been hard on participation. It's changed a lot of things. One researcher in America, it used to be about 100 million Americans any Sunday would go to church or any weekend would go to church. He literally believes, and the data backs him up so far, that after COVID, 20% of the American church, when it comes to attendance, is absolutely gone. 20%. We see that even when they were in Rockbridge. And so what post-COVID church has revealed is, hey, some habits have been broken. The habit of getting up every weekend and going to church. Nominalism has been revealed. A lot of people were Christians in name only, so they showed up at church, maybe out of peer pressure, maybe they thought it would help their business or their political standing, and they recognized, hey, I don't have to show up anymore. 
So COVID's been hard on the church and hard on engagement. There's been reshuffling of sheep. There's, there's Christians who have said, ah, I think I'll go try something else. I've been there a long time. Maybe I'll move around. That's been going on in the church. And then we have fear, and we have an increase in individualism that's going on. Where now, a lot of times, the, the people, are, people are saying, well, I just got to do what's best for me and my family when it comes to my church participation or my church engagement. And increasingly in America, increasingly in our country, increasingly even in the Bible Belt, church is being seen as optional. And maybe something that some people do, but not something that's for everybody. I heard a pastor this week said, hey, what's happening now in America is the unbuckling of the Bible Belt. That it used to be, you know, when you were in the deep south where we all are, are, are most of us live, some of you are in Ecuador and things like that, but uh, in the deep south, you know, we were highly spiritual, highly religious, and it was those people in the northeast or the Pacific Northwest or out there on the left coast of California, those people were not into Jesus or church, but now we're, that, that's no longer true. And so we want to have an honest conversation because I, if, if you're like me, my understanding of church can ebb and flow based on the mood I'm in or a variety of things. But, but I, I think it's important that we just kind of go back and ask a question like, what is the church? And let's check with Jesus before we check with how we have come to view the church, how, the way we've always done it, heard about it, thought about it. Let's check with Jesus. And, and I actually wrote this down. I'm going to read it. Because it struck me when I was talking through this, uh, this sermon with Pablo, our Spanish uh, service preacher. And I, I said something to this effect. If our definition of church is off, our expression of it and experience of it will be too. So if we don't understand what the church is, and, and as designed by Jesus Christ, then we're going to miss the mark. And I believe when we miss the mark, hear me lean in, we miss God's best. So what I want us to do is just step back. And, and so I, I need to ask God to help us. I need to ask you to maybe do something that's hard to do. Let's just imagine that we're starting from scratch. Because I know there's church pain in this place at Rockbridge. You maybe have been hurt and you're tiptoeing back in. I, I know there's church complacency. I know there's church indifference. I, I know there's people here who are passionate about the church, but let's just all step back for just a second and just kind of say, okay, Jesus, teach me again what this is. Teach me again what is your way, Jesus, of thinking about the only thing you ever created, which was the church. So let's go back to Matthew when Jesus actually created the church and how that came about, and what that means in terms of defining the church correctly so we get the expression experience of the church uh, correctly as well. So Jesus is in this region of Caesarea Philippi, and he goes and he asks his students, his disciples, who do, you, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Or who do people say I am would be another way of saying that. And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So you're sort of like one of these Old Testament characters that we've always come to expect in our history. And Jesus leans in, looks at him, and says, hey, but you, who do you say that I am? There's no more important question. No more important question than who do you say that I am? 
And so Simon Peter steps up, and he says, and he hits it out of the park. He hits it out of the park. He says, you're the Messiah. That means that's the person we've been waiting on to save us from sin since Genesis 3. You are the son of the living God. You're God himself. You're God's only begotten son. You've been sent to rescue, to redeem, and to save. And Jesus gets fired up. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. God himself has given you revelation and information that the entire universe has been waiting for. And out of that, Jesus says, and so I will say to you that you are Peter, and that's a little word play, it means rock, (coughs) and on this rock... I will build my church. And the rock he's talking about is Peter's confession that Jesus, you are the king of kings. You are the savior of the world. You're the promised Messiah that was started out in Genesis 3. And all of God's chosen people, the Jews, have been waiting on you. And you are here in the flesh and in the blood. And and we're going to surrender to you and we're going to follow you. And so Jesus says, hey, on that rock, I will build my church. From this, we get three facts about the church, three truths, three facts about the church. We'll unpack them. The church, here they are. The church is built by Jesus, it's bought by Jesus, and it belongs to Jesus. Now, I'll just stop right there because I I think all of us are aware that we've come to church or we've said, man, and we've wanted something or we've thought church should be more about X or more about Y. Or we've thought, you know, hey, they should have sang a different song or the preacher should have preached a different message. And we've all sort of wanted to grab the steering wheel of the church, right? We've all sort of said, hey, if, if I, I, I wish church was more like or I wish church was less about. And we just got to stop and say it's bought, it's built, and it belongs to Jesus Christ, period. It's not my church. It's his church. It's not about me. It's about him. And so let's dive into that. And I ask a couple of questions about each of these three facts. The first one is, okay, Jesus, how do you build your church? How does Jesus Christ build his church? That's a great question, and we get the answer in Scripture. And Jesus begins to tell his disciples some things. And he says, look, I've spoken some things to you while I've been with you, while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, third part of the Trinity, whom the Father is going to send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. So there's a body of information. There's a collection of truth, just like God revealed truth to Peter that you are the, when he confessed Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's the rock, that confession, that truth, that testimony. That's what we're going to build the church on. So there's a body of teaching that has been given by Christ, imparted by the Holy Spirit to his apostles. The apostles were the 12 men who witnessed the resurrection. And they were with Jesus from the time of his baptism until the time of his ascension into heaven. And those men taught, and they taught other people, the teachings of Christ. And then Jesus, before he goes up into heaven, he gives some instructions. And he says to his people, his followers, he says, Go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. In other words, hey, it's not only about Israel. It's not only about Ethiopia. It's not only uh, about America. It's I have a plan for every ethnic group and every tribe and every tongue. And I want someone and a group of people from all those nations, ethnos, ethnic groups, I want them to become my students and my 
disciples. They'll become part of my church because you're going to make disciples, baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're going to teach them to observe everything that I've taught you, that I've commanded you. And then in Acts 1.8, he completes his commission. He says, look, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And here we are, to the ends of the earth. And then Paul completes the puzzle of how Jesus builds the church. He says, so you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on what? The foundation." Of the apostles and the prophets, the teachings, the testimony, the eyewitness accounts of those 12 men and their students who saw Jesus die, come back to life, who heard Jesus preach, and their teaching anointed by the Holy Spirit, that is the foundation of the church. And Jesus himself is the cornerstone that holds it all together. And so in him, the whole building, church, is put together, grows into a holy temple, not a building, a people. A holy temple in the Lord, and in Him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. That God dwells in the church, in His people. So if we answer, okay, Jesus, how do you build your church? Here's the answer. The church is built by Jesus through His Word. The teaching, the testimony, and the eyewitness accounts of his apostles. So Jesus builds the church. <clears throat> but not only that, Jesus bought the church. He bought it. And, and, and I think sometimes when we walk into a church service or we go do a church ministry or when we walk out and we think, okay, I'm done with church, we don't recognize, realize, or remember that Jesus bought the church. And let's, let's stop for a second and say, you know what? When you buy something, the price you paid for it indicates the value you place upon it, correct? The price you paid for something indicates the value you place on it. Some of us will spend a lot of money to go to a sports competition. Others will spend a lot of money to eat a good meal. But the price we pay indicates the value that we have for that. So what is the price that Jesus paid so you and I could be a part of God's household where this dwelling is being built up for his spirit? We go all the way to Revelation. And I want us to feel the weight of this. God, help us right now. Give us your spirit right now. We need to feel the weight of this. We need to feel the weight of this. We can't be complacent about this. So John's up in heaven. He's getting all these visions and all this revelation. And there's this vision because he weeps and weeps because there's this scroll, there's this book that once it's open, it lays out what's going to happen in the culmination of history, where all of history is headed. And John's like, there's nobody worthy to open it. There's nobody worthy to finish it. There's nobody worthy to even look at it. And then one of the elders, I'm getting goosebumps because the elders represent the church, said to John, he said, don't weep. He says, look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And this, for a Jewish person, that's all the way back to Genesis. And now the, the king who God said, you'll always have somebody from the line of David on the throne. That, that's who we're seeing in heaven. And he's conquered. 
so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so the history will be consummated because of the worth of the lion from the tribe of Judah. And then John looks over and he doesn't see a lion. He sees one like a slaughtered lamb, like a sacrificial lamb. Someone who looks like they've borne or bore a rugged cross. And he's standing in the middle of the throne. So when we're in heaven, we'll see Jesus and he'll look like a crucified lamb. Why? Continue. And it says, he took the scroll and all these living creatures and the 24 elders, the church, fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song that says, Jesus, you are worthy to take this scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered on the cross and you purchased people for God by your blood. So when you walked in here this this weekend, or when you opened the Bible, when you say, I'm a part of Rockbridge, or I'm a part of that church, or I used to go to that church, when you, any... That was purchased by the precious, eternal blood of Jesus. And we got to feel that. Because you know what? We're all living in a crisis time. When, when nobody can trust any institution. The institution of marriage is under attack. We're not sure we can trust our government to do anything. We have distrust going on in so many, whether it's corporation, police, industry, business, government, education system, marriage, the institution of the family. But we're now talking about an institution built by the only one worthy to open the scroll, but not only built by him, he bought it with his blood. That's when when that weight hits our soul, we can't play church anymore, can we? No, we got, we got to wrestle with some things that are way deeper than time and a place and a building. And it, now look what it says. He purchased people for God by his blood, your blood, from, back to Matthew 28, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And not only did he purchase us, it says he made us a kingdom and priests to our God, and they'll reign on the earth They'll reign on the earth. And, and then we go, now let's, so that's up in heaven. Let's go to a local church like Rockbridge. Let's go to the church in Ephesus, Acts 20. Paul's there. And he's, go, he's saying goodbye because he's on his way to Rome where he's going to die for what he believed and what he wrote about and for all the churches he planted throughout the Roman Empire, which we came from here in the West. And Paul's talking to these elders leaders of the church, and he says, I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God, the whole counsel of God, because the church is built through the teachings of Jesus' word. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers and elders to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So we're up in heaven talking about the purchase of the church, and now we're down in just one local church, and we're talking about your church was purchased with the blood of Jesus. So yeah, Jesus built the church, but he also bought the church, and he bought the church with his blood. So let me say this, and I, and I say this in repentance. We all need to be very careful 
if we ever get a critical spirit about the church. Because the value you place on something is proportional to the price you paid to get it. Jesus paid for us to become his people, part of his church. Now, not only did he build the church (coughs) and buy the church, but the church belongs to him. It's his. We get this in Scripture. This is God's plan, that both Gentiles, non-ethnic Jews, and Jews, ethnic Jews, who believe the good news about Jesus, what God has done, death, burial, resurrection, to save us from our sins, we share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. So Jews and Gentiles, all the ethnic groups, part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ. And God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So God takes the church and uses the church, uses the fact that God bought us out of sin, that God paid for us to become sons and daughters, that God adopted us in our rebellion to become part of his family. God uses the church to display his wisdom to spiritual forces, to unseen rulers in the cosmos. So we're in heaven talking about the church. We're in Ephesus talking about the church. And the church is sending a message to the universe about the goodness and the grace and the glory of God. And look, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So yeah, Matthew 16, the church comes into existence, but it had always been the plan of God. So listen, you're sitting in something, you're a part of something, especially if you're a member of a church. You're a part of something eternal. You know, we're all proud of sometimes, right, of being a part of something. I'm really proud that I was a part of the U.S. Navy. I'm proud of my brother who's still serving in the U.S. Army. I've been on some cool, awesome sports teams. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of where I went to college. I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of my last name. I'm proud of my family. But the church is way bigger than all of that. Are we proud to be the church? It's part of the eternal plan of God, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we come to this beautiful passage in Ephesians where it talks about how God saves us. And it says that God's rich in mercy, and because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive. We were dead in our sins. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. It says, you're saved by grace. You don't deserve it. But then look what he does. He's raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ so that in the coming ages, 
The church's purpose will live on. It's eternal. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So in eternity, God is going to point to re- former sinners and rebels like you and me. He's going to look, I rescued him. My grace captivated Matt Evans. My grace captivated this, you people. My grace captivated the underground church in China. My grace captivated the folks in America who thought it was all about making money and they realized it was all about Jesus. My grace grabbed them, rescued them, adopted them, and saved them. And that's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. Why? Because that's God's eternal plan. And he even goes forward and he says, he says this. He says, you people, us, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. So that you may, what, proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. You're God's people because you have received mercy. Previously, you had not received mercy. Isn't that amazing? I mean, look, some of us woke up this morning and we said, I don't have any value at all. Some of us said, you know what, I'm washed up. Or I've forgotten about or I'm overlooked. No, if you're part of the church, you know what you are by the authority of God's word and at the price of the blood of his son. You're a chosen race, a priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so we can praise him. You know, when we ask you to stand up and sing, that's not for any of us. That's for him. That's for him. Yeah, it blesses us because God comes and sits on the praises of his people. But that's for him. That's our purpose. We've been bought. He he owns us, drives us, compels us because he's been so good to us to proclaim his praises. And, And then Paul even goes a step further. And he says this, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Jesus' body, the church, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to one another. So next time somebody tells you, I don't need the church, you say, you better check with Jesus, because that's not the way he created the church. Right? And then look this, though. But here's the important part. We belong to each other, because in his grace, God has given all of us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out as with much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Just don't pretend to love others. Really love them. So look at what God's done. He's rescued us by his grace. He's put us into his church family. And together, through the gifts of grace he's given us, we build up the church. And so the church, yes, it belongs to Jesus, but it's for his purposes. And through the church, we get grace. God gets glory. That's why God put us on the planet. To get grace. We got grace in creation, right? We get grace in salvation, right? We get grace through sanctification, right? We'll get grace through glorification, right? And we'll spend eternity marveling and praising God for the glory of his grace. We get what we need but don't deserve. That's grace. God gets glory because that's what he deserves and that's who he is. 
See, people here, listen, I'm a church nerd, if you can't tell. All right? I love the church. Haven't always loved the church for the right reasons. I've sometimes loved the church for sinful, idolatrous reasons. That's true. But there's been times when I've sat in a church service and said, God, I don't want to be here. And I looked over at one of you worshiping your face off. And you, the grace coming out of you and the glory going to God touched my soul. And God gave me grace that I needed. There's been times when a believer, an elder, a friend, another pastor has walked into my office or taken me to lunch and said, how can I pray for you? And I needed that. I've gotten encouragement through when I was discouraged, and I needed that. If I was not part of the church, I would be cutting off a lifeline of God's grace to me. And I need grace. I don't just need common grace that the air is the right mixture so that we get enough oxygen, not too much carbon dioxide. I need the grace that Jesus bought with his blood. I think we need to say to ourselves, you know what? I don't want to be a part of a church that's explainable by the calendar. I don't want to be a part of a church that's explainable by a denomination. I want to be a part of a church that's explainable by the blood of Jesus and that exists for the purposes of Jesus Christ. And, you know, when those things are true, victory is assured and inevitable. Because Jesus said, hey, Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. So, we all probably walked in here with a way we would define church. I just want to offer, based on God's word, a definition of church. And maybe for some of us, it's a redefinition or an adoption of a new definition. But here it is. For the church is Jesus' indomitable creation, comprised of his called out people who were bought with his blood to declare and demonstrate his gospel of grace internally to one another and externally to all the nations and cosmically to the unseen powers. not great? So, so listen, we're not an hour of the week. We're not a place to come like spiritual Walmart. We're Jesus' indomitable creation, comprised of his people who were called out of darkness, the darkness of sin, self, and Satan. We're people who were bought with his blood, and we were not bought just to get out of hell. We were bought to declare and demonstrate his gospel to each other internally, that I need you, to, to, I need the gifts you have to, to, to fuel my soul, I need the, the, the community that the church is comprised of to help me move forward in faith and give me encouragement and admonishment and accountability. I need all those things. I need all those things. But I also am to declare and demonstrate his grace externally to all the nations, that we all have that purpose and we all have that calling. How we live it out faithfully depends on a lot of factors, but we all have that calling. But we also... Declare his gospel of grace cosmically to the unseen powers in the universe. And so we should never forget that the church is, yes, universal and eternal in scope, but it's local in expression. It's lived out 
in an actual time, in an actual place, with an actual group of people. That God puts sinners together under the blood of his, by the blood of his son and for the purposes of his glory and to give us the grace we need to live faithfully for such a time as this. So I'm going to make a statement. And we may all not agree with or believe this statement yet, but I believe fundamentally it's a true statement that we all need to wrestle with. And if we need to say, God, help my unbelief, then we pray, God, help my unbelief. Here's the statement. The church is the most important institution in the universe, in the world, and in my life. Period. Sometimes we say, well, family is. Jesus said, listen, this is my family, those who do the will of God. The church is the will of God. The church is the will of God. But after we've gone through that panorama of Scripture, how can we come to any other conclusion? Now, we may not believe this statement, but God's Word teaches this statement. And then our commitment and connection to the church ought to show this is true and this is a reality. So I want to end with with two questions and two statements, okay? Here's the question. Does my commitment to the church match Jesus' love for the church? Does my commitment to church match Jesus' love for the church? Have you ever gone to watch like a dance recital or a sporting event and you hated the dance, you don't like dance, or you didn't like the sport, but you were really interested in it because someone you loved was participating in it, and you sat there and you did it because the one you loved was involved with it. The one that we love the most is Jesus Christ. And he created, he built, he bought, and it belongs to him, the church. So I, I want to encourage all of us, We can never, ever give up on Jesus' church. We can never, we cannot minimize her. We need to be careful of being even critical of her. Now, she's not perfect because she's made up of people like me. But she's Jesus's. And she wins because she's his. So this leads me to a second question. Have we ever really tried Jesus' church? You might have tried your grandmother's church. You might have tried church your way, which was, hey, I just show up. But have we ever really tried Jesus' church? Done church the way Jesus founded the church. And then I, I just think, let's, let, let's invite, let's, let's make Rockbridge be more of his church. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had first Wednesday in October. I'd so encourage every Rockbridger to just listen to that message. Because I, 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 I think we're at this critical point. I think all of us need to be a part of something transcendent and significant. They need to be a part of something that's backed by the blood of Jesus, not the votes of politicians, not the superficiality of the human race. I think we all need to be a part of what Jesus built, bought, and belongs to him. So here's some thoughts. How do we help our churches? How do we help this church be more of Jesus' church? I'll say this. I, I think we have to show up. I think there's a ministry in attendance, engagement, and participation. That's, that we're here for ourselves, we're here for God, and we're here for other people. We serve 
because God's given us gifts. We serve for his glory. We serve because people need the grace that flows through us. So, so we just got to show up and say, God, I, I, I want to be the church. But how we show up matters. You know, we can show up and be a part of the church the same way we show up for a movie. Like, man, I hope it's good. Or we can show up prayed up. God, help me to see and hear and help me to encourage and bless. We can show up opened up. God, I'm humble. I want to just meet with you. I want to meet with you. I want to be teachable. I want to be receivable. And God, I want to give. I want to give blessing. I'm opened up. I'm open-handed. I I was bought by your blood. I'm a part of this for your purposes and your glory. And then we go, and then we're sent out. And we're sent out saying, hey, let someone see Jesus in me, and let someone hear about Jesus from me. And I just think, Rockbridge, if we could come back to Jesus' definition of the church and, and, and recognize that this is so much bigger than an hour, this is so much bigger than, hey, we sang a few songs, Matt preached a message, so much bigger than, hey, my small group meets you know, twice a month, so much bigger than, hey, I serve in RB Kids, so much bigger than, hey, I, I'm going to think I'm going to start serving in Rockbridge Student Ministry. Yeah, those are important. They're local, but it's cosmic in scope. It's eternal in its hope, and it's all about the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's, if you're not matching my zeal and passion, then pray, God, let me feel as passionate about the church as Jesus was when he hung on the cross and died to create his church. Because here's what I believe. There's a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. I hear it all the time. What's going to happen to America? What's going to happen to my job? And I'll be honest with you, I don't know. But I know what's going to happen to the church. And the best is yet to come for the church and through the church. So let's be his church. All of our campuses, even online, I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to read God's word. You can stand right now. Read God's word. On the highlighted section, I just want you to say that out loud with me as we read the words of God over the people of God for the purposes of God's glory and the gifts of God's grace. Here we go. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond All that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Here we go. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 